Thanks for listening to Parkview on the Go. No matter where you're from, what your story is, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you belong here and we want to help you take a step toward God. If at any point along the way you feel like you want to have a conversation about faith, life, and where God might be leading you next, you can let us know at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. That's parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. We hope this content encourages you to continue becoming the person God created you to be. Enjoy the service. Everybody, welcome. Welcome to Parkview Online, Homer Glenn. We're glad to have you here, New Lenox, Orland Park, at wherever you are. I just got to tell you, uh, this is Next Gen Weekend, in case you've just uh, joined for the message. And uh, that, what that means is I, I want to talk about the importance of kids. And I just want to tell you how much I love our kids and students ministry at this church. I was thinking about it. When my wife and I were coming here 31 years ago, it was a very small church. And, um, you know, one of the things I did youth ministry for seven years before I, you know, before I tried this gig. And, um, and, and we were really, we only had little a a two-year-old when we came here, but we were bound and determined that by the time our kids got big enough, um, this church was going to have a fantastic youth program. And I can't tell you how much the kids' ministry and the student ministry meant to our girls growing up um, and their families, uh, you know, there's some of their spouses, families, and all of that. It's, it's amazing. So I just want to tell you that because um, I've been nostalgic a little bit this week. I was in northern Minnesota uh, for a few days early this week with the Stinklings. The Stinklings are my accountability partners. There's three other guys that we, that are in ministry, and we've been doing this uh, meeting together a couple times a year for 15 years now. Because none of us wants to be another pastor casualty. And having people in your life that you're accountable to is a big key on how that works. So we were in Park Falls, Minnesota. I actually flew into Fargo, which was so cool. I always wanted to go to Fargo. It wasn't as cool as the movie, but it was really, I went into Fargo. And um, the meaningful part was, this is where Ben, one of my stinkling brothers, uh, pastor over in Maryland, this is where he grew up. His grandfather started a camp on this lake in the 40s and was given property and they built a little cabin there. And just in case you haven't ever done it, um, I had to learn the, the language a little bit. It's not a Canadian goose, it's a Canada goose. So there's lots of them around. So if you're ever up there, they'll know you're not from there if you say Canadian. It's Canada goose. I don't know what it is. And yes is ya. Yeah. You got that, right? And no is ya, yeah, no, ya. Yeah. Okay, it was really kind of ya, yeah, no. Yeah, and you betcha, right? That means whatever you want it to, you betcha, okay? It's also where Gene Apple, another one of my pastor friends, grew up. So, so Gene and Ben, these two fantastic pastors of great churches in the U.S., as well as many others, spent their summers in this place at this lake at this camp, and Ben showed me where he and Gene and a lot of other guys gave their lives to Jesus in this little chapel, and, and, and Ben showed me the exact spot in the lake where he got baptized, and where both of them were, and again, many others were molded into who they are today. It's the legacy of, of a guy who bought a, a lake and then donated it to a church to avoid taxes. Which, by the way, if any of you own lakes or islands in the Caribbean, 
or whatever, just remember, we're also tax exempt, at least for now. So just, you know, keep that in mind. All of it flooded me back, though, to my childhood and the people who pointed me towards Jesus. And, and for me, it wasn't in one place. I grew up in kind of four different places in different churches because we moved. But, but in every one of those places, there were so many people that, that spoke Jesus into my life. I couldn't even begin to list them. People who taught me in, in VBS, what we call Summer Jam, or, or Church Camp, which was so important, or CIY Conference. Believe it or not, if that's been around long enough, I went to it. Children's church, kids classes, youth group, all of those things. And obviously it was my parents who were pointing me to Jesus, but they had a lot of help. And seeing Ben's spiritual base camp really brought back a ton of memories for me and made me wonder what, you know, life would have been like if those grown-up people hadn't spoken into my life. And then school started back up in Tennessee and my granddaughter Olivia started kindergarten, first day kindergarten. Isn't she adorable? And, and in a new town, and it, we heard it went really well. But, but, you know, after last week's sermon, if you didn't hear it, please go back and listen. It was really important for me. I, I think what God is teaching me um, is a major sad revelation when it comes to children and Jesus. This is why this is so important. It may be harder than it has ever been for our kids to know and love Jesus now. I mean, you've got to think about it. I know there are plenty of children that grow up in areas where there's extreme persecution for your faith, and I get all that, but I can't help but wonder, in our day and time, especially in the U.S. with our affluence and our distractions and our post-Christian culture, could it be even harder for us to pass on our faith to our children? I'm not discouraged by it. That's why we're here. I'm glad that you're here. I hope you plug in with us and let us help you. But you see, when I was, a, you know, when I was a kid, I remember the old people used to bore me with their tales of, you know, how they had to walk five miles to school and five miles back again in the snow, barefoot, right? And it was uphill both ways somehow. I never figured that out. While they were carrying their little brother on their back, you know, and and they maintained a straight A average, even though they had a full time job at the local steel mill making five cents an hour to keep their family from starving to death. And I used to go, oh, come on, really? And then one day, I became the old guy. I I don't know exactly when that happened, but I can look at the kids today and I can do the same thing. You betcha, right? When I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. Do you remember what that was like? If we wanted to look something up, we had to go to the library. It's crazy. There was no email. If you wanted to send a letter, you had to write it out, put it in an envelope, and it took a week to get there, if it ever did. And there was no music on your phone. If you wanted music, you had to wait around all day in front of the stereo and and tape it with your little cassette player, right? Do you remember that? And the DJ would always talk over the beginning and mess it up. Drove me crazy. Back then, we only had three or four channels to watch on TV, kids. Do you believe that? We had rabbit ears up on there with aluminum foil, and Dad was always trying to angle it around to figure out how we could get it. And get this, no cartoon network. Uh-uh. When did you have cartoons? Only on Saturday morning. Do you kids hear what I'm saying? You had to wait all week till Saturday morning to watch cartoons. There was no caller ID either. If the phone rang, you just had to decide if you were going to pick it up or not. It might be your girlfriend or it might be your Aunt Bertha who made that pink bunny costume for you for Christmas. You didn't know. And it's all crazy to think about now, but, but as I've been processing all of this stuff and, and the technology and all the ways that we're distracted today uh, from what is important, 
I believe that was a simpler time to love Jesus. I believe that, and I love the internet, trust me, I love all these conveniences, but do you realize that many Silicon Valley executives are paying tons of money to put their kids in private schools where they aren't allowed to use iPads or phones or computers to do their work? Do you know that? Because they get it. I mean, they're doing it to us, but they get it. I've said this before, but if you haven't seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, I think it's really, really important. But it just makes me want to grab my grandkids and move to Long Lake, northern Minnesota, and bunker down sometimes. You betcha. Just get a gun and a garden and maybe a still. I don't know. I've been reading this book. Maybe. I haven't ever tried it. I've been reading this book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And, um, oh, my goodness. There's a noticeable decrease in attention, for example. The Internet and the way we do information now is altering the structure of our brains. And what makes this troubling is not just distraction. It's also that the, the, the author Carr said it... It's clear thinking that also gives us empathy and compassion. And a recent study, I mentioned this in a couple services last week, found that the average person touches his or her iPhone or or smartphone or whatever 2,617 times a day. And each user is on their phone for an average of two and a half hours in 76 sessions a day. And guess what? Our attention span is dropping. In 2000, before the digital revolution, our attention span was 12 seconds, okay? That's not necessarily great, but since then, in the last 20 years, it's dropped to eight seconds. To put that into perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. We're losing to goldfish. Hi, I'm Dory. Yeah, no, yeah. I know she wasn't the goldfish, but you know what I'm saying. God placed children in our society so that we could take care of them and we could nurture them. And if that doesn't happen, we have a big problem, don't we? I mean, if you leave the kids by themselves, they need somebody watching over them or it turns out like that. Jesus said it this way, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. If you've been around here, you know this is a a key story for me. This is one of the few stories that's included in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that always says something when all three of them decided to write about it. And I think it's because most of us don't get the seriousness of this text. This is one of the texts that pointed me to write the book I wrote two years ago, What Made Jesus Mad. This is one of those times. And we're going to do some more of that when we get done without the movies. Here's what happened. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Jesus got angry. What was going on? Well, Jesus was in the middle of a discussion with the religious leaders about divorce, which was an important issue. And the people were bringing the kids to Jesus, and the disciples were like, get the kids out of here. This is important, serious stuff. And I don't know how long Jesus tolerated it, but at some point he could stand it no longer, and Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, got mad. He got indignant. And this is where every sermon I'd ever heard on this moment failed completely. 
Because Jesus did not just quietly say, oh, come on, you guys, let the little children come to me. The strong, powerful, brawny carpenter raised his voice, that's what indignant means, and with great passion basically said, step away from the children. Let the little children come to me, and don't you dare hinder them. My kingdom belongs to such as these. Later on, he says an even crazier thing where he says, if you, if you hinder one of these kids, if you mess up their faith, it'd be better for you to have a rock tied around your legs and thrown into the sea. I mean, it's crazy to think about it, but that's how much Jesus loves the little children of the world. I'm going to show you a clip. Um, there, you know I rarely really recommend... Uh, Christian movies and all that kind of stuff, because I know sometimes they, they aren't really so great, okay? Um, but I got to tell you, there's a show out now called The Chosen, and um, you can get an app for your phone. You can watch it on Peacock for free. Um, it, it's a free show, and it is uh, two seasons of Jesus with the life of his disciples in a way that is just so powerful and so good and so well done. And here's a little bit about Jesus with the children. Abby, by the stream. Do not swim. I won't. Come on, go faster. I'm trying, Abby, but your legs are going too fast. Oh, we're almost there. Here it is. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives forth bread from this earth. And I pray that if there are ever two children who come visit my home here, you will give them the courage Stay. to say shalom no. so that they will know they do not have to remain in hiding. He's a good man. Stay. Amen. We need to go. Stay. We are going to stay. <laughs> Sheep don't sound like that. <laughs> Maybe a rooster? You know, it is not safe for a child to wander from their home. So, what are you doing here? I'm visiting for a time. Where are you from? Nazareth. What is that wood for? I'm building something. Are you a carpenter? Sometimes. How do you make money? Happy. Just asking him how he makes money. My family isn't wealthy. Many times that's better. I don't know about that. <laughs> My mom made me this. What's her name? Sarah. Very pretty. Okay, time to go home. Bye. <laughs> Just leave him alone. Is he dead? Shh. Shalom. Shalom. Can we be around today? I suppose, but I have some work to do. String, is it tight? Yep. Almost. Why don't you have a home? My home is many places. Why? Because I have a much larger job than just being a craftsman or a teacher. You're a teacher too? I will be soon. What other job? Everyone has a much larger job than just their trade. And you? are more than just students. You are at school to show love to one another. 
and to take God's word and to share it, and at home, to honor your father and mother. I'm telling you this, because even though you are children, and the elders in your life have lived longer, many times adults need the faith of children. You want things to be fair. When someone wrongs you, you want to right it. And you know who else loves justice? But what does the Lord say in the law of Moses about justice and vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Yes, very good. And God says he will have compassion on his people when... what? When their strength is gone? Yes, very good. So, maybe we let God provide the justice. Hmm? Maybe we handle these things in a different way. Not trying to be the strongest all the time. Even Messiah? You will have to see. But do not expect Messiah to arrive in Jerusalem on a tall horse carrying weapons. And he will be most pleased with those of you who are the peacemakers. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah. That's better. I don't know about that. <laughs> you will. I know you can read. You are very special. This is for you. I did not come only for the wealthy. It's that good. If you're going to binge watch something, I recommend The Chosen. The thing about all this is that God commanded us to leave a legacy of faith. 
And all throughout the Bible, we are instructed to train up the next generation, how to know God's will and how to walk in it. So it's the responsibility of all of us, okay? Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, Christian adults to influence the next generation. Here's what the Bible says. We will tell, of the, next, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of our Lord, his power, the wonders he has done, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. It's um, relay races. It's a relay team, okay? They practice for hours handing the baton as they're running, right? And evidently, our Olympic team didn't practice enough. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you know that, but they drop the baton. And when you drop the baton, you lose the race. And I guess that's what I'm saying. This message has obvious implications for parents but, and grandparents, but it also does for us as the church and as a society. I love this picture, still hanging in my office. Pastor Todd took it. This was way before you knew Pastor Todd. We've been friends for a long time. We were in Ecuador together with Wes Stafford, the president of Compassion International, and if you know anything about me, if there's a baby around, it's going to be with me. And um, I just picked up this random kid, and, and I was blowing raspberries, and he was imitating me. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So my question for you is, how do we leave a legacy? First of all, it's by demonstrating the priority of Jesus and the church, okay? Sometimes when we pass the baton, it's the passer's fault if it's dropped, and sometimes it's the person who's accepting it who who messes it up, okay? It's not always the fault of the passer. Sometimes you can do everything you want to, and your kids are going to have freedom of choice, and they're going to make their own decisions, It's just that I know that many of you are coming back to a relationship with God, and I believe that some of you, if not all of you, left the church because you didn't see a priority in your parents. I've talked to many of you about your childhood religion, and I know that your parents just went to church because they felt like they had to, and they came late, and they stood in the back while they read the newspaper, and they left right after communion. You know what I'm saying? You betcha. You know what I'm talking about, because for them, it was a duty. They did their duty, and you grew up, and you were like, I don't need any more duty, so I'm not going back to church, so don't do that. Uh, We don't do that. Until our young people sense that, that our relationship with Jesus is first in our lives, all this sermonizing and moralizing is going to go out the window. I grew up in a home where we never missed church. You know, I often joke about the drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, drugged to church on Sunday night, drugged to church on Wednesday night. And, and I didn't ask if we were going to church on Wednesday night. I asked what time we were leaving. And you know what? Sometimes it was boring. And I got to tell you, you don't have to worry about that here. You don't. Because when your kids come here, tell me, your kids bring you here, Right? How many of your kids brought you here in the first place, right? Because it was like fun. They found activities. They found stuff to do. And I'm just telling you that if you have to twist your kid's arm to come to church here, they probably have the flu and you should leave them at home so we don't, you know, mess it up, okay? But please don't tell me. Here's what I don't want you to tell me. Don't ever tell me this. I just want to let my kids choose from themselves when they get older. I don't want to force religion on my children. I'm afraid it will turn them off later. Because I'm going to say to you, Do you force them to take a bath? Aren't you afraid it's going to turn them off to hygiene later? 
No, we force them to go to school because they need it. We know it's good for them. And we know it. And this goes for you online as well. We have so many great resources for you as parents and grandparents to give to your children, even online. So do everything you can to pass the baton. If they drop it, they will probably pick it up again. The second thing is we demonstrate the priority of Jesus in the home, okay? In the home. Here's what Moses said. Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. There's a promise that comes with passing on our faith. And if you want to impact your kids for the Lord, it has to filter over into every aspect of your life, okay? In fact, what you do at home is 10 times more important than how you demonstrate it at church. This is a big problem for pastor's kids because a lot of time a pastor's kid will grow up hearing dad talk one way and then see him act a different way at home and they don't want anything to do with it. Well, guess what? You're going to be in the same boat. Do the kids know what baseball team you root for? Because I bet they do. And how about that Field of Dreams game? That was awesome, right? Do they know your loyalty to Jesus? Is it as important to you? I mean, I'm not saying it's about Christian wall art and having a WWJD bumper sticker or saying prayers before the meal. Do they know the importance of Jesus? Do they see you read the Bible? Do you pray together? It's the little things that make impressions on them. And the third thing I'd tell you is by demonstrating the priority of Jesus in your daily life. Because children are keenly aware of your behavior. So live in such a way that your children see an example, not hear a sermon. They're watching you out of the corner of their eye. They're watching carefully to see if your talk matches your walk, right? George Barnes says this, it says, it appears that our society has become increasingly secular, as our society has become increasingly secular, our children are developing a hypocrisy detector, an internal sensitivity to actions, attitudes, values, and beliefs that are inherently contradictory to words that have been uttered as instructions. They're listening when you gossip about people at work. They're listening when you utter that racial slur during a basketball game. They're watching your intake of alcohol and how it affects you. They're watching how much you're on your devices, and they're probably mirroring it. They're watching whether you treat their mother or their father badly. They know what your priorities are. They know where you spend your money. And believe me, who you are is making an impact on your children more than we can counteract in a couple of hours of Kids Connection or youth groups, okay? And maybe this hasn't been your MO up to this point, but it can be. You can change it. I did have to fly to Fargo from O'Hare, so, I, you know, always a lovely experience in O'Hare. And I don't know if you know this or not, but O'Hare Airport is named after Butch O'Hare who was a fighter pilot in World War II on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. And one time, his entire squadron was assigned to a particular mission. But after he got up in the air, he realized that nobody put fuel in his tank. And so he turned around on his own and went back to the ship. And because of this, he would not have fuel to do the mission unless he went back to the ship. And as he was coming back to the mothership, he could see a squadron of Japanese Zeros heading towards the ship to attack. 
And with all the fighter planes gone, the fleet was defenseless. So he was the only one who could distract and divert them. And single-handedly, he dove into the formation of Japanese planes and attacked them. Butch O'Hare dove at them and shot at them until his ammunition was gone. Then he would dive at them and try to clip off a wing or a tail or anything that would make the enemy planes go down. He did anything he could to keep them from reaching the ship. And finally, the Japanese squadron was like, who is this guy? Let's get out of here. And they went off in another direction. And Butch O'Hare and his fighter both, both limp backed into the carrier. And it was not until they developed a film on the camera that they realized the extent that he went to to protect his fleet. And he was recognized as a hero and given one of the nation's highest military honors. That should make you feel better about flying in and out of O'Hare. Zip code 60666, okay? Don't forget that. But, but let me tell you another story. Back in the 20s, there was this guy in Chicago named Eddie, Easy Eddie. He was a notorious gangster for Al Capone. He was Al Capone's lawyer, as a matter of fact, and he was very good at it. He kept Al Capone out of jail a lot. And to show his appreciation, Al Capone paid him very well and had money, had an entire block for his house in Chicago, okay? The house was fenced. He had live-in help. He had all the conveniences of the day. Then he also had a son, and he loved his son, and he gave him all the things he could while he was growing up. But at some point, it clicked into Easy Eddie's mind that he was giving his son everything except a good name and a good example. And finally, Easy Eddie decided that it was going to be more important to give his son values and character than all the riches that he had given him. So he went to the authorities in order to rectify the wrong that he had done. And it meant testifying against Al Capone. And he knew that Al Capone would do his best to have him killed, but he wanted most of all to teach his son a legacy, to give him a good name. So he testified, and within a year, he was shot and killed on a lonely street in Chicago. May sound like two unrelated stories, but Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. You can change your legacy anytime you want to. We talked about this in the pre-service stuff, but, um, you know, this is our illustration around here of what we do with our kids. This is a, a jar of marbles. It represents, every marble represents one week in our kids' lives. And, and, and many of us feel like we lost our marbles in the last year through COVID and, and, and maybe what's coming back at us again. And, and we don't want to really relive all of that. But like I said last week in Reset, I want to ask you that before we get back to normal, Whether we do or not soon, someday we're going to get back to normal. And I got to ask you, do you want to get back to normal? Do you really want the normal that you had before that? Because normal, as I talked about, might have been stacking up my schedule so much that I was delirious, that I didn't have time for my kids, or my kids' schedule was so busy playing sports and with all the things they did that that they didn't have time to be normal. And, And do I want that? Before you load back in at Parkview, as it relates to raising our kids, this is our, our deal, okay? 936 marbles in there. You can count them if you want later. 936 weeks that you have from birth until a child graduates from high school. It's crazy, isn't it? And there's no way to add to the marbles, 
okay? We can't extend our time. So if we can't add anything to it, the question comes, how will we use them? What will we use them for? And again, this is not a message just for parents. I'm not talking to just the kids' team people or trying to get you to volunteer and serve in kids' ministry. This is for everyone. If you cross paths with young people at all, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin, mentor, coach, counselor, teacher, aide, supervisor, whatever you are, And how we feel about this at Parkview is we want to raise up future leaders like you've seen demonstrated already today. And that's what you need to know about us. We are invested in the next generation. And we want to take a a few moments, take the moments that we have, there's so few, and the time we have your kids on the weekend and do events like Summer Jam and and weekends where we remind you that we're investing in the next generation. And you need to know if you give to Parkview, a healthy amount of that goes to staff and resources to help us with the next generation. It is top priority to us. And that's because it is the heart of Jesus. He said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Let me point out, Jesus was not an earthly father to any of the kids who were coming to him. These aren't his nieces and nephews. It wasn't a family party, not a parenting moment. It's for all of us to understand the priority of kids. And we want to do the same thing for you. That's why we've developed family resource wall. And in our lobby at all of our campuses, check them out. There's cards up there that will tell you, uh, based on your kid's age, what are some things that you can do together, some things that you can help them out with. They're there. Please take them. We have all kinds of stuff online for you as well. And we have members and volunteers stationed at our parent resource walls and selfie stations to help you. If you have any questions, if you've got kids or, or a niece or nephew and you think this would be great for them, they can help you there as well. It's that important important, okay? Dr. Tony Campolo wrote, um, he's a sociologist at Eastern University, and he wrote about his experience going back to his hometown in Philly and, um, and, and being downtown and being at the church that he grew up in. He said he knew that the church that he grew up in was uh, in an area that had gone downhill, and he wasn't really surprised when the windows of the sanctuary were boarded up and deterioration was all around this church. It would be like my friend Ben going back to to Long Lake in northern Minnesota and seeing the church camp all boarded up and seeing everything all done and to know that it was so important to him but no longer there. Dr. Campolo was sad but also curious and he began to wonder what kills a church? So he decided to make his boyhood church a case study And he found the last group of leaders of the church, and he asked them where he could find some of the archives, and they pointed him to a a room in the basement in the church, and they gave him access to get into the church. And and he went in, and and he opened up the, you know, the dusty room, and he found the archives, and and he thought to himself, well, what am I going to do? Well, I know I'll start where... I became a Christian, the year that I became a Christian. That's what I'm going to do. And he went through the stuff, and he, and he started looking, and he began to read. And, and what he read was, it's not been a particularly good year for the church, the author admitted. Giving was down from the previous year. Mission activity was subdued. Attendance had declined. And there were only three people who had given their lives to Jesus over the course of that year. And they were just children, the author wrote. Dr. Campolo, Campolo stared at the, at the page in disbelief. Wait a minute, he said. I was one of those three kids. 
And I know the other two. One spent his life as a missionary in Africa, and the other became a president of a seminary here in the United States. And I've given my life to Christian higher education. What do you mean just three children came to Christ that year? He said, I guess I found the answer to my research question. A church begins to die when it says they were just children. If that's the mindset, then decline and decay is sure to follow. St. Francis said, give me a child until he is seven and I will give you the man. Children will ultimately change the churches in which they worship. And changed churches will produce changed communities. And changed communities will change nations and ultimately the world. And it all begins with the little children of the world. We're calling all of us, whatever your role is, to be a champion for the next generation. You may be asking, well, how do I do that? My kids are grown. I don't have kids, whatever. We all have moments where we're naturally crossing paths with young people. I just want to challenge you to make the most of the marbles, you know, before you lose them. We have a sticker for you um, on your way out the door. They're marbles to remind you of every week of childhood. And it says, make a moment to serve as a reminder to you. Take one on your way out and put it somewhere that you will see every day. Man... I mean, you, you guys know if you're new, you got to know I'm a grandpa like six times over. Um, and I can't tell you, I can't begin to tell you how fast it goes. As a parent of kids who are parents of kids and are having a hard time believing how fast it goes, trust me on this, 936 weeks is not a lot of time. Let's make the most of it, Parkview. God, I just thank you for the kids. I thank you for this church and what it meant to me. I know I was the pastor, but I was also the parent. My daughters blossomed in this church. And I'm thankful for the churches that my grandkids are a part of. I wish they could be here, but I'm thankful that they're blossoming where they are. Now for us as a church, Lord, we just want, we want to make a recommitment to the kids. That's why we do things like we do them around here. That's why they're such a priority. You love the kids. You wanted the kids around. They are the next generation. And Lord, it's going to be hard for them. But we're going to be there for them. We're going to be there with them. To that I am committed. It's in your name we pray. Thanks again for listening. Like I mentioned before, we would love to hear from you. And if you want to talk with our team about taking your next step toward God, visit parkviewchurch.com slash next steps to let us know. Now may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. See you next time.